We're in Matthew chapter 7, if you'd like to turn there or type there in your phone. Matthew chapter 7, as we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon given by the greatest person who ever lived. But before we get into some of those profound thoughts, i got a question for you. How do you kill a mouse? Well, some of you are probably saying, you shouldn't kill a mouse. You shouldn't do that. Well, this winter, for the first time in 28 years, Janice saw a little mouse run across our kitchen floor. And uh, she was on the phone with her brother Jim from Colorado, and she just starts shouting. And, and, and he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she said, we've got a mouse in the kitchen. He's just running around. And he told her to just trap it and wait till Dave gets home. <laughs> like, like I'm the mouse expert. Like I have a degree in mouseology or something like that. The only experience that I actually have with mouses or mice um, <laughs> was sending one on its first and last trip into the atmosphere when I was 14 years old in an Estes rocket that had a see-through capsule in the nose cone big enough, just big enough for a mouse. And so I sent a little mouse into orbit, or not into orbit, but close to it. But up to the point where Janice had invented this dog bowl kitchen trap for mice, the only experience I had was sending that poor mouse up into the sky. That's how you kill a mouse, you launch him very fast into the sky. Now he did parachute softly to the ground, but I, I don't think he was conscious at the time. I don't think he was alive at the time either. But um, So I got home and, and uh, there's, there's the dog bowl on the kitchen floor and I had the whole scenario and you know, I was getting ready with my cat-like reflexes to lift up that bowl and to trap that mouse and maybe take it outside. And, uh, and Janice says, we can't put him outside. It's the wintertime. He's just going to want to come back in because it's warm in here. So, you know, we had to come up with some sort of death hit, hitman thing for this poor mouse. We had to kill it. So, so I, I had the dog bowl and uh, I removed the bowl quickly and I was ready to capture this mouse and it didn't move. Because you see, when Janice had put the dog bowl on it, she'd actually guillotined the poor mouse, and the mouse was already dead. So that's another way to kill a mouse. Get a dog bowl and just, you know, that's another way to kill a mouse. Well, we knew that where there was one mouse, there was probably more to come, so we had to come up with another plan. So we had to get some, some mouse poison. And, and I want you to, to, to look very carefully at the ingredients to this, to this mouse poison to see if you notice anything strange. I kind of uh, zoomed in a little bit. Besides the words brodifacum biphenyl tetra, besides those strange words, look at the percentages. The active ingredient is 0.005%, and the inert ingredients, in other words, the non-harmful, probably tasty ingredients are 99.995%. Most of what's in this uh, mouse poison is not dangerous. In fact, it may even taste like good food. It's, it's harmless. 99.995% is harmless. But the 0.005%, that's one in one thousandths of the product, is deadly. There's a little deadly mixed in some really fine ingredients. It's really not that bad, right? It's really not that bad. Tell that to the mouse, right? But it's really not that bad, 0.005%. Well, if you try to tell it to the mouse, you wouldn't hear him. He wouldn't hear you anyway because he'd probably be dead because of that little tiny bit. 
Jesus is concluding now uh, his Sermon on the Mount. This whole summer we've been looking at this wonderful sermon about the kingdom of God and, and, and Jesus' main part in bringing the kingdom of God and what it looks like. And he gives a warning about some poison as he's drawing it to a conclusion. He gives this warning. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. This is verse 16. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Watch out, he says, for false prophets. And he goes on and says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Here's Jesus concluding his wonderful Sermon on the Mount. And he gives this warning. He says, watch out. Watch out. Why would Jesus say, watch out now? As he's closing his, his sermon, why would he say that? Remember, this is the launch of his public ministry. For some time, he, he had been saying to his followers, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And even uh, to his own mother at the wedding in Cana, where he performed his first miracle, he was somewhat reluctant to do so. In fact, he did his miracle in secret. Why? Because his time had not yet come. But here now, in the Sermon on the Mount, there were hundreds, possibly thousands, out in the open, on this mountainside, and he's saying, watch out. He's saying, watch out. Why? Well, whenever you go public spiritually, whenever you decide to open your mouth and to share the gospel, or begin public prayer, or in some way identify yourself as a Christ follower, whenever you go public spiritually, that's when the, the enemy gets active. That's when he knows he's in trouble. And so here's Jesus going public with his ministry. And as he goes public, it's actually an invitation to the enemy. It's an invitation to the enemy to attack. And so he says, guys, watch out. Watch out. He had just spent a lot of time describing the kingdom that he came to establish. And his kingdom is, is both now and it's also future, but it's, but it's also diametrically opposed to the kingdom of this world. His kingdom turns our culture completely upside down. Remember how we started the sermon? With this upside down culture of the kingdom of God, where he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Really, you want to mourn? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, not the proud, the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And even as we prayed today, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That kingdom is a completely different kingdom. And if you choose to follow Christ, and if you choose to participate in that kingdom, Jesus is saying, watch out. Because trouble begins. Because the enemy knows that you're serious. Because you're following Jesus. As he was ending his earthly ministry in John 17, look what he prayed. He prayed, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Protect them. Why? Because it's dangerous out there. And in John 17, 14 and 15, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not of the world any more than I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You decide to go public spiritually in some way and the enemy We need to pray these same kinds of prayers for each other and for our kids and as we did for our brothers and sisters around the world, because it's spiritually dangerous out there, especially when we go public. Sadly, many Christians are asleep. They're indifferent. Maybe even unaware of the spiritual battle that's being waged right now, even as we sit here. And as we sing praises and as we pray and reach out over the miles to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, there is a battle being waged for the souls of men and women and children. And if you're one of those who are unaware of the danger, the enemy doesn't even need to fight over your soul. He's already won. But Jesus says to the crowd gathered to hear him, many of whom are contemplating following him, he says, watch out. Watch out. And out of all the possible dangers, he wants us and he wanted them to specifically watch out for imposters. Watch out for false prophets. Watch out for these imposters, people who are imitating the teaching, the ministry, the principles of God, but whose motives are impure. Watch out for the false prophets. Now, Jesus' listeners were very familiar with false prophets. There were false prophets in, in, in their day and age, and if they knew their Bible, and many of them did, they appear all over the Old Testament especially as advisors to the kings. And the prophet Jeremiah describes false prophets like this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus, as he's finishing this great sermon to open up his public ministry, he says, watch out, these prophets are coming. Be on the, on the alert. And then he tells us they're coming in sheep's clothing. So they look harmless. They sound harmless. They might even look and sound like the sheep in the fold that you're in. Remember, Jesus said, I am the great shepherd and we're his sheep. But inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. They, they appear harmless, but they'll devour you. That's, that's the idea. Watch out for them. Now, many of these false prophets show up in in different religions that have been founded, some of which have borrowed a lot of material from, from the Bible. We know false prophets like Joseph Smith, who invented uh, Mormonism. It would seem from the surface that, that many Mormons are Christian. After all, they sing the same hymns. 
They say they trust in Jesus, but what kind of Jesus do they trust in? What kind of Jesus do they believe in? They believe he is one of many gods, small g, that he was born mortal, and he experienced something called eternal progression. In other words, he was a man who became a god, small g. And it's not to Jesus that every knee shall bow, as we read in Philippians chapter 2. In fact, Brigham Young, a major prophet of Mormonism, wrote um, to explain a, a certain doctrine, and, I'm, and I quote, This doctrine which God revealed to me, namely that Adam is our father in God. Our father Adam helped to make this earth. It was created expressly for him. He brought one of his wives with him, Eve. Who is he really? He is Michael the archangel. He was the first man on the earth and its framer and maker. And he goes on to say, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he, Adam, is God of the whole earth. Borrowing a lot of things from the Bible, but completely not what God has revealed. Using familiar people and principles in the Bible like Adam and, and the doctrine of creation, but twisting them into falsehoods. That is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Another might be Charles Russell, who invented the Jehovah's Witnesses movement. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, that Jesus was created, um, and he was created as the, uh, the archangel Michael as well, before the physical world existed. But he is a lesser, although he's mighty, he's a lesser God, small g. They believe that when Jesus was born on earth, he was a mere human and not God in human flesh. And Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was resurrected spiritually from the dead, but not physically. I'm not sure how that works. So there are religions that are created by false prophets. And Jesus warned his disciples, and he warned us, that false prophets were on the way to lead people astray. They would sound good, they seem harmless like sheep, but in the end, they're going to kill faith in the real Jesus. The question that comes up, how can a person know? How can a person know if a leader is a false prophet? Well, Jesus said, he said, by, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Look at the fruit of their lives. Look at the consistency of what they say. If they make predictions, do they come true? Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, that's ridiculous. He's giving a ridiculous example here to teach us. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears Bad fruit. Look at the fruit of their lives, he says. Because eventually the sheep's clothing wears thin and their true nature comes out. That's one way to tell if someone is a false prophet. The disciple John gives us some further help on this. I think it's, it's good for us to look at it. This is the disciple John who wrote some decades after the resurrection about false prophets that were already popping up within the religious culture of his time. This is what John said in his letter, 1 John, and it's in chapter 4. The disciple John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I mean, Jesus said it, right? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, here's his disciple John saying the same thing. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, 
which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. This is not talking about the person of the Antichrist. It's talking about the spirit of anti-Jesus, which is already in the world. See, it's all about who you believe Jesus to be. Jesus is the central figure. Jesus is the crux of the matter of belief. Here John says Jesus came from God, so he was sent by God into this world, and he became flesh. And in his gospel, John tells us that Jesus was with God and was God. He was with God in the beginning, and he was God, and he is God. And so if you need to test a teacher or a prophet to see if they are true, simply clarify if this person believes that Jesus is fully God and became fully man to accomplish God's purposes and our salvation. That's the crux of the matter. If not, then the person, the philosophy is anti-Christ. It's the opposite. It's not Christ. And as John says, that is a spirit which is already at work in our world. And as I read John and thought about what Jesus was saying, I realized we're really not just talking about religions. We're talking about any ism, any philosophy that denies the incarnation. John said it was at work in his world, it's at work in our world. And while you may not be susceptible to the religions of Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or, or other cults, you may be susceptible to philosophies like humanism, individualism, which reject the need for a savior because you know what? We can save ourselves. We can save ourselves. Humanism is so embedded in our culture that, as followers of Christ, we may not even notice when we're being influenced by it. Let me give you an example. Look at your prayer life. Just look at your prayer life. Is it, is it vibrant because you know you're dependent on God? Is it vibrant because you know you can affect situations by bringing God into it in prayer? Or is your prayer life weak because you figure pretty much you can take care of most everything on your own? When you look out upon the world and you, and you see what's happening politically, um, or you see uh, a, a way to get involved in terms of activism, do you think that humans can solve the world's problems? How have we been doing so far? But if we act as though we can figure out just about any problem and fix it, we've been influenced by humanism. And humanism, folks, is a false prophet. It fills us, as Jeremiah said, with false hopes. How about uh, your relationships? Look at your relationships. Are you, are you in a community with other believers where, where you're able to be vulnerable? You're able to be accountable. You're doing life together. As the New Testament describes and all of the commandments to love each other, to admonish each other, to pray for each other, to mourn together, to rejoice together. Or do you prefer to keep your faith private? 
That's the poison of individualism. And boy, we've been fed that for a long time. I don't need anybody else. I mean, I need God, but I don't need anybody else. It's just God and me. That's the poison of individualism. Whether it's the poison of individualism or humanism or any other kind of ism, you see, our world has many false prophets. And they're not all religious. We need to watch out for them. We need to watch out that they don't poison what Jesus wants for us and what he was communicating in his Sermon on the Mount as he went public. What does he want for you? This is what he prayed for us, that, that, that God might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what he wants, that you would know him. You would know his Father. How many times did he mention the Father in the Sermon on the Mount? Many, many times. He wants us to know the Father, and he wants us to know and live eternal life. He wants you to know him. I know that sounds real basic, but I'm going to say it again. He wants you to know him. Not know about him, to know him. That's a personal relationship with Jesus and with his Father. He wants you to know him. And in knowing him, you have eternal life. Paul puts it this way as he's experiencing his relationship with Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to know Jesus, and I want to become like him. I mean, isn't that what you want? To know Jesus and see his death and his resurrection as more than just historical fact, which they are, as more than just theological truths, which they are, but as personal experiences? As Paul said, I want to know his, his, I want to participate in his sufferings. And I want to know something of his resurrection. To see all that worked out in our lives. To have, to have a day when I'm hurt. To have a day when I'm suffering. When I'm confused and I'm frustrated. And be able to say, Jesus, I'm participating in suffering with you. Will you please participate with me? I want to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. Pastor Andrew just prayed. And he read from scripture about, about us suffering with our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Why? Because we're the same body. When they're hurting, we're hurting. We're participating in the sufferings of Christ. That's what it means to know Jesus. And then on those days where you know you're facing something, you're like, I, I know in all things, I can, in, in, in all ways I can do, uh, what, what's, what's the scripture? In all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a resurrection day. That's when you say, I got something that's tough, but you know what? The resurrection is real in my life, so I can face that and I can do that because of the resurrection. You see, the death and the resurrection of Christ are not just theological truths. To know Jesus means to have them work and out in our lives. That's what he wants for you, and that's a life of power. And that's what he wants for you. But the poison of false prophets, be they religion or isms, they try to convince you that Jesus is other than that. That he's other than the incarnate king of kings, 
who desires to know you intimately, who desires to know you daily, who desires to know you powerfully, both in suffering and in resurrection, those isms are trying to convince you and pressing in on you that that's, that's, that's not the real Jesus. What happens when false prophets lead people astray? Jesus tells us in Matthew 7. It's tragic. Look what happens if a person is not on the lookout for wolves in sheep's clothing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What does Jesus say? He says, I never, we didn't know each other. I never knew you. It's not the religious activity. Even the activity with Jesus' name attached to it that gets you into the kingdom. You know what gets you into the kingdom? Knowing the king. That grants entry into his kingdom. And Jesus said, I, I, I don't know you. And that is tragic. Especially when we remember these words from earlier in the message when Jesus said, this is eternal life that they know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what he wants. And you can know him. You know, the instructions on the box of mouse poison say that the mice might not die right away from the poison. It could take five days or more before uh, they're dead because the poison is hidden in this food that's disguised to make it appealing to the mice. And it takes time. Just because it's appealing doesn't make it less deadly. And those who believe lies that are mixed with the truth face the exact same danger. They get used to the taste of whatever ism they're following. They get used to the taste and they keep going back for more because it's really not that bad. But all the while, they're not, they, they, they're not realizing that there is a slow death march that's going on. So Jesus says, watch out for yourselves. Watch out for yourselves. But also, reach out to those unaware of the danger that they're in. Very soon after the Sermon on the Mount is done, do you know what Jesus does? He sends his disciples out. He sends them out to the villages around to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He's telling you to watch out. But after the sermon, he's also telling you to reach out because there's people that need to know. They need to know about the lies, whether they be lies of religion or the lies of the isms that they're following. They need to know. So let's follow in both sermon and mission this week. Let's pray. God, we want to follow you both in understanding this sermon, but also in completing the mission that you're giving us this week, whatever that may be. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here, who have heard this message, that um, are going to have all kinds of isms pressing in on them as they, as they leave today and as they go to work, as they go to school, they go to college.
Lord, would you, um, through your Holy Spirit, cause them to watch out, to recognize the danger. Lord, to run to you the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, may they experience um, in knowing you um, both the participation of, uh, in your sufferings, but also your resurrection power. And, and in that knowledge, in that relationship with you, may that strengthen them against the enemy. Lord, may they, may they realize that when that stone was rolled away, you spoke life into your body and resurrected, the battle was already won. And Lord, may the victory of that battle be applied in their lives in whatever situation that they're in. But Lord, we know that doesn't happen unless we're intimately walking with you. And so I pray for that as well. Lead my brothers and sisters into an intimate relationship with you. It's one that's intimate, that's, that's daily, and that is powerful. And for those who are here, who have, are hearing this message, um, Lord, that are not sure that they know you, that even though they may be uh, spiritual or religious, um, they like God and, and, and religion, they're not sure when the kingdom comes if they're going to get entry into the kingdom of God. For those, Lord, I pray that they today would accept you as their Savior and their only Savior, that they would acknowledge and confess their sin and acknowledge that they, uh, <laughs> they may be good people, but they are not perfect. And you require perfection, and only Jesus brings that as he cleanses us clean, completely clean at the cross, and then gives us his life at the resurrection. Lord, for those who are not sure, I pray that they would come to know you today, that they would reach over to somebody uh, in their pew, somebody in the lobby, or even speak to one of the pastors here, Lord, can you show me how I can know for sure that I am going to enter the kingdom of God? because of Jesus. Lord, uh, fan that flame in their hearts and may they find you. We are, we're privileged and honored, God, to have the ability to know you. With all that we've done, with all that we've said, with all that we've thought that are just not holy, you holy God, condescend to us. And you come to us, the broken and the contrite heart, and you offer yourself. So Lord, let us not be so independent. Let us not be so proud that we don't get to our knees before you and accept your offer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.